You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, it's hour two on this Thursday. Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show. I'm wondering that. When the National Hockey League gets back on the ice, they have the Stanley Cup final, and then you have the commissioner taking out the Stanley Cup trophy. Do you pump in booze just to make him feel at home there? All right, welcome to the program. Boys are here, ready to go. We'll talk to uh, Steve Phillips, former Mets general manager. Now he uh, works for the MLB Network on SiriusXM. Get his thoughts on the players and the owners. And this is the Hatfields and the McCoys, and they've made it public. And it doesn't feel like there's a resolution. Now, what happens a lot of times when you have a lockout, uh, you know, you have a strike, it doesn't take much to get everybody back together. It's usually one or two items. Now, it feels like there's a lot more, but it feels like there's one or two items. This is just the monetary aspect of this. You still have to get all the safeguards in place of where you're playing and the testing and is there fans and who gets to go to the game? What about the media? How many members of the media get to go? Uh, You know, what is the process just to get into the game, to cover the game, to play in the game? All of these items that are there. But money is the issue here. And it has been the issue. And the players, it feels like, are taking a stand saying no more pay cuts here. But uh, we'll talk to Steve Phillips. Uh, he's got, he's a calming voice on this. He's, uh, you know, seen both sides. He's a former player and of course, uh, worked in the front office with the Mets. So he'll join us coming up. I got to ask Steve, did Steve, was Steve there offering Bobby Bonilla his contract that the Mets are still paying for? Could you check that McLovin? I, I don't want to put this on Steve, but they did sign Bobby Bonilla to that, what, 25 year deal where I think he's still getting paid by the He was playing for other teams and still getting paid by the Mets. But I, I think it is going to go on for a few more years. Yeah, Paulie? That contract started in 2011 and ends in 2035. The total payout is $30 million. But I think a lot of those contracts are the GM does a good job in deferring money, allowing you to sign another player for that upcoming season. So from a baseball standpoint, that may have not have been a bad move. Hmm. It, that I think I mean it that's always the purpose feels it. like it's it's it was a bad move. I don't know, but I I don't want to put that on Steve that he's the one who he did pull off the trade for Piazza. So I got to be fair to him on that too. Yeah, Paul. Every time you look up on the internet, Bobby Bonilla and contract, there's always lots of stories of him, and they use this picture of Bobby Bonilla where he's smiling like he just won the lottery, like he it's did. the biggest smile. He did win the lottery. <laughs> yes, McLovin. Yeah, I don't know if we want to bring up Bonilla in the next day. It seems like Steve was involved. Ed Movon. Oh. All right, scrap that then. There's no reason to bring that up. No reason to bring up any uh, history there. But uh, he'll join us. Jerry West will join us coming up in an hour from now. 82 years of age. Love having Jerry on. So uh, we'll have the uh, Hall of Famer, Mr. Clutch. I had a stat here, and I'll bring it up this hour because there's no way I'm going to bring it up next hour when uh, Jerry joins us. Jerry West is one of eight players to win the NCAA Final Four Most Outstanding Player and win the MVP in the NBA Finals. But Jerry West is the only one to do both in losing efforts. Stat of the day, stat of the day, stat of the day, stat of the day. Here comes that what? Stat of the day. Why am I going negative here? I got Steve Phillips on. I appreciate that. No need to bring up Bobby Bonilla or Mo Vaughn. Jerry West on. But how good do you have to be that you're the most valuable player in the NBA Finals 
and you lose, and you were in the NCAA Final Four, you're the most outstanding player, and you lose as well. So uh, Jerry will join us coming up next hour. Phone calls are welcome. We settle on a poll question or something different this hour, McLovin? Okay, uh, we have a couple different options. We did, we did the first hour to NBA players, or would you want your family there? People said no, mm. for whatever reason. Okay, all right. Uh, Pauly threw out this question with the Lance Armstrong documentary uh, out there and Barry Bonds we talked about last hour. Who will history treat uh, the harshest over time? Barry Bonds, Lance Armstrong, Houston Astros. Um, I'm not sure who All the Astros aren't, aren't in there. Yeah, okay. No, well, it's like, hey, they cheated. All right, we move on. Lance Armstrong is still... Lance Armstrong, I have no idea why he agreed to do this documentary, be a part of it, because... He has no self-awareness. It is amazing to watch him. But then I wonder if he ever had self-awareness. Because he's not helping his 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 cause, his case. If, if he's trying to ingratiate himself, he's not doing a good job at all. And Bonds was like this. We understood that this is who Bonds was. Bonds wasn't trying to be your friend. He didn't care. Lance, it feels like, can't understand why you don't admire him or you don't want him to be your friend or whatever approach you, you may have or thoughts about that. Lance doesn't have self-awareness during this documentary. It doesn't come off well. I think Bonds probably will be treated harshest because it was baseball. I mean, we, we sort of care. The reason why Lance Armstrong hurts a little bit more to people is we feel we were duped by Live Strong. We feel we were duped by his story. You know, him winning the Tour de France, we didn't care about the Tour de France. But then Lance won, and all of a sudden, we. when's the last time you locked in and went, can't wait to watch the Americans in the Tour de France? Chances are it was probably when Lance was racing, because I don't think he care. If we have a chance to win, we care. I mentioned the America's Cup, yachting. We don't, <laughs> what do we know or care about yachting? But we lost the America's Cup, then we wanted it back. It meant war. Yeah, Polly. But don't you think that the Astros will be go down in history as the one proven, proven cheating team to win a title in American sports history? I, I don't know of another that's if there is one, I don't know of it. We don't know of it. But they're gonna go down as a, a team. There's no question. There's very little question. I think there's no question. They cheated to win a World Series. We don't know how many times they cheated. We know we, they cheated. Okay. But we don't know how many games they cheated. But the problem with them is they won. There's, I'm sure there's other teams that cheated and got in trouble and things like that. But the season they are accused of cheating, they won the World Series. So when they go through the list, it's like, remember those guys? Well, what about teams that use steroids? Like football teams, the Nebraska Cornhuskers won national titles, and you know there was evidence that their players were using steroids. Their offensive line, did they cheat? Did the Pittsburgh Steelers, with those players on their offensive line, did they cheat, or was it everybody else is cheating, so it's not cheating? Like Lance's, I guess his philosophy is everybody else was cheating. I was just better at them at cheating. I, I, he's not denying that he cheated. I think what he's saying is, what's the big deal? Everybody was cheating. So what? Yes, McLovin. I mean, I think the Red Sox won in 18. I can't remember what year they got officially busted for, but they were doing the same thing as the Astros, right? Yeah, but we don't know. There was, I mean, what were the penalties? The Red Sox fired their manager, but their baseball didn't come down hard on the Red Sox for cheating. I think they said did something to them, right? 
Did they? Exactly. They, we yeah. don't even know what they did. Right. I, yeah. So really. I, now, did the Astros cheat? Absolutely. I just, I don't know if we're going to vilify the Astros, you know, in 20, 25 years from now. My point was that a lot of teams are probably doing what the Astros are doing. That'll yes. help them in the long term. That is true. I think doctoring baseballs. That's why when uh, I think there was that moment between Jim Leland and Tony La Russa in the World Series. And it's like, uh, you're going to call, uh, you know, his pitcher on that? I'm like, no, because you knew that your pitcher was doing the same thing. Nope, I'm good. Yep. Then eh, nothing to see here. Just keep going. Uh, let me see a couple of things. I saw where Baker Mayfield Jr. The third had a uh, not a press conference, but a teleconference. And I guess it was just meeting with members of the media and the Browns writers since he can't be there in person. And Baker Mayfield had this to say about his new philosophy moving into this season. I have a different approach to this year. Everybody that has been interviewed in our team has kind of hit the nail on the head over and over uh, about, you know, it's just time to work. It's time to do our thing instead of talking about it. Uh, so I, this is the first media thing I've done just because there, there's no need to be talking about it. It's just time to go do it. And right now it's, you know, kind of moving in silence, which is fine with me. That's how I used to do it before getting on a bigger stage. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to get back to those roots. And like I said earlier, get back to the fundamentals to where I can accomplish the goals when the season comes around. Yay! He finally listened to me. No commercials, no nothing. Don't challenge anybody in the media. Just shut up and play football. And you want to you put people, you want to put them in their, their corner there? You can do that by playing great football. You can shut everybody else up by just playing great football. You don't have to talk a good game. You must play a good game. This is the most important year of Baker's career because this is going to decide if the Cleveland Browns are going to go, hey, this is a guy we're going to sign to a second contract here. You got offensive line help. You got a tight end, new tight end. You got your wide receivers. You got two running backs here. No excuses here. No more excuses. He should have a, if he doesn't have 30 touchdown passes, he had a bad year this year. They are a playoff team, and he should have 30 touchdown passes. And if, if they take him back to what he did his first year or when he, uh, how he played in college, that will be very important for Baker Mayfield. Very important. But uh, be quiet. You, know, you didn't earn anything. Now you can prove it. And then you could get that second contract. But the more he talked, the worse it got. The more he challenged people, the worse it got. Just, just let your play tell everybody what it needs to. Because believe me, it will. Yeah, Paul. I completely disagree with this. Baker Mayfield got to where he is. A Heisman, Oklahoma football, 11 wins, first round pick, his rookie of the year all by being brash and in your face. I have the feeling a year from now, we're going to hear Baker Mayfield say, you know what, I got to get back to being me. I got to get back to challenging people, get in people's faces. Last year, I tried to go into a shell and let the media control me. That's what we're going to hear a year from now. Okay. Well, it didn't go well last year when he was Baker Mayfield. And it certainly helps when you're at Oklahoma and you're playing those defenses. Kansas? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, you look a whole lot better there. NFL humbles you, man. They humble you. That's what happened. Good story, underdog story, and all of a sudden you go, oh, look at Baker Mayfield. He's been great. It's the second year, hey, we got Odell Beckham, and hey, we're, we're going to go to the Super Bowl. 
And then all of a sudden you go, nope, you're not even leaving Cleveland, dude. You're not going anywhere. Yeah, Paul. This is kind of how Cam Newton's career started out. His first year, he was in the Pro Bowl. 21 touchdowns, 17 picks. The next year, he cooled off. His percentage was down. His touchdowns were down. His productivity was down. And then the following year, he's 12-4. and His third year in the league, Cam Newton was 12-4. and Yeah. And and look, I I like Baker. I, I like that personality, but there's a time and a place for it. And it felt like he would be playing bad and those progressive commercials would come on and you go, no, no, that's not good. Now, those are funny if you're 12 and four. You know, when Peyton did all his commercials and Peyton was winning, that's the difference. If Peyton's going five and 11, you're going, oh, okay, yeah, it's really funny. Yeah, it's uh, okay. Yeah, all right. Peyton with the draw, Southern draw, nationwide. Got Brad Paisley here. Brad, Brad, Brad. Not as funny. Clever. Certainly was clever when he was winning. Man, that Peyton, he's funny. Because he's winning. Baker? No. I also saw this. Foregone conclusion, Tua Tonga Vailoa will start in week one, question mark. <laughs> the Dolphins have indicated that Tua Tonga Bailo. So if you're going to do clickbait, you do not put a question mark there. Question mark means it's not a story. Foregone conclusion, Tua Tonga Bailo <laughs> will start week one. It's not a foregone conclusion if I got a question mark there. Foregone conclusion, Tua Tonga Bailo will start week one, question mark. <laughs> Okay. The Dolphins have indicated that Tonga Vailoa might start the season on the bench until he's ready to start in the 2020 season. But Bleacher Reports, Mike Freeman, fine NFL writer, says that Tonga Vailoa starting week one is a foregone conclusion. Wait, if your writer is saying it's a foregone conclusion, then don't put a question mark by it. Is he saying or is he reporting? Because <laughs> those are two different things. Right. Seton can say that two is going to start. Well, let me see if he's got sources here. Well, my sources right now are oh. telling me he's either going to start week one or mm. be mm. on the bench, mm. be a backup. Okay. Uh, let me see what this says. Uh, the Dolphins, uh, week one is a foregone conclusion. Uh, let me see if there's anything else in here. <laughs> ah, let's go with it. I, yeah, they probably, you know, let's just publish it. I clicked on the story. I think Todd added the question mark. Because I don't see the question mark in the story. Todd, did you ask the, did you put the question mark there? Did you edit this? You got to turn on your mic. That's how it works. I, I put a question mark in the headline. But um, in my headline, I'm like for the subject of the uh, email. Why are you doing that? Who the hell are you to put a question mark in the headline? Because that was my that was my way of saying like, this is a surprising piece of news. Uh, Fitzpatrick, uh, 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 who's the number one, he's supposed to be ahead of two, and all of a sudden. But you're not the that, editorial staff here for Bleacher Report. I'm not. I took a I took a little liberty there. I guess that I apologize saying, to Mike Freeman. I didn't know that Todd was all of a sudden going to be editing this. Here. That was my question as to really this is interesting. Tua could be starting. Okay, I need. So wait a minute. Hold on a second. Is because there's two question marks, right? There's the subject of Todd's email that says Tua starting week one question mark, and then the next part is foregone conclusion Tua will start week one question mark. Todd, did you put both of those question marks in? 
Anything in the actual copy, I did not put a question mark. But, my, my only question mark was in the uh, subject line. I clicked on the story. There's no question mark. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you brought that to our attention. Do you want to apologize on behalf of this? I guess the, I have the, to. It's a journalistic faux pas. I wasn't but it says foregone conclusion. The, uh, it says foregone conclusion, Todd. That's what he's. That's what's being reported. I know, but you don't. If you want to put after we, we'll start week one. Period. Then you put, boy. I have a question mark about this. But well, the Dolphins, have the Dolphins announced that he's the starting quarterback? Until no, the Dolphins announced he's the starting no, quarterback. Don't try it, Todd. Don't try it. How Just did, because some, wait, some sources are saying that it's a foregone conclusion. Until the Dolphins come out and say, our starting quarterback week one is Tua, then that's a question mark to me. When does a reporter get to tell a team who's two for him? He's not putting a question mark after this. In you his report, did. Yes. Underlined report. It's still a report. It's not fact. It's a report. I know, but you. I understand what you're saying. And I. And I he I, says I, it's I, a I foregone conclusion. That's his his report, his opinion. It's a foregone conclusion. That's great. I think the reason why I put the question mark in and not to confuse you and the All rest right. of the well, audience then I apologize. was because the Dolphins have not said that he's the starting No, that's not the way this works. That's not the way this works. So I caused a journalistic uh, piece of confusion there. Yes, you did. So I will apologize for that. Well, doesn't sound like you want to. I'll be more careful with my punctuation and my. Uh, no, you can say, lines. boy, I got questions about this. But you've added a question mark in the title. The I probably should have put really question mark. There, that would have been good. Like that. that would have been I'll good. Leave it for interpretation after that. Yeah. So, uh, Mike Freeman, we apologize. Cleared that up. Just move on. Nothing to see here. So it looks like two is definitely the week one quarterback, regardless of what the Dolphins front office has to say. Here we go. Here There's we go. the toddler. There he is. Passive aggressive. Here he is. Ladies that's and great. gentlemen. I didn't, I, that's great that Mike Freeman is assistant GM of the Dolphins. That's awesome. Every story you see where somebody makes a declaration, do you put a question mark? For now on, my subject are going to be... No, do you do this at all of them? Because this I've isn't the first before. time somebody... Oh, you have? But but, I, but it hasn't caused this kind of ruckus. And you just can't say, you know what, my bad. I should probably just say, check out this story. Yeah, right. yeah. Or, or just... 20 story. after the hour, we'll talk to Steve Phillips. The former Mets general manager will join us. Or will we? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Oh wait a second! I just like I'm getting a I'm getting a note on the wire. Mike Freeman, new vice president of uh, player personnel. I like how uh, somehow all of a sudden because Todd screwed up, he's attacking Mike Freeman. I know. I, like <laughs> somehow it's his fault that because we're all hanging on that particular sentence. Can't manage to that send story. a basic Mike email Freeman to the group. did his job. He did something. He got some information there, and and you're going. What was the what, what response was gotten for, from the Dolphins for the foregone conclusion? You would think he or somebody would have went to Dolphins. What the hell are you talking foregone about? Conclusion. What the, what response has been given by the foregone conclusion from? I want to know what the Dolphins' response the is to the report about? that it's a foregone. Todd, conclusion. this is where you always try to talk yourself out of something. You do. I'm the only one on the stamp that does that. <sighs> and you, <laughs> twenty after the hour. This is the Dan Patrick Show. Question mark. Tua, I can't wait to see him start week one. Shut up. That's fantastic. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Coming up in a little bit, we'll talk about tailgating at college football games. I brought this up a couple of weeks ago. Article in New York Magazine by Will Leach, who lives in Athens, Georgia, and he proposed the question that we asked a couple of weeks ago. What if no fans are allowed in the stands, but you still have people show up 
to tailgate at the stadium. We'll talk about that coming up. One of the bright baseball minds that I worked with at the Mothership, he's Steve Phillips, host of Leadoff Spot on MLB Network and uh, Sirius XM, former Mets GM. He joins us on the program. Steve, uh, full disclosure, I heard you on Mad Dog Radio this morning coming in, and I said, you know what? Steve is making some nice, you know, concrete, bite-sized answers here, giving opinions on both sides of this. And I thought, you know what? Let me have him come on and summarize exactly what is going on with Major League Baseball right now. So thanks for joining us on short notice, and it's great to see you. Good to see you, too, and glad to be here. And obviously, these negotiations going on, baseball made their proposal, uh, and uh, it was uh, effectively a non-starter for the union, the idea of the sliding scale. And I think the way to look at it is owners have proclaimed that they're going to lose 40% of the revenues without fans in the stands. That includes ticket sales, concessions, parking, all of that, that it's 40%. The proposal they made to the players on taking a pay cut off of the prorated salary is a sliding scale that impacts guys differently depending upon how much money they make. But effectively, on average, they're asking the players to take a 33% pay cut. Now, so effectively, the 40% loss they're actually putting 33% of that on the players and only holding 7% of that themselves from the owner's perspective. So it's a non-starter for the players. They don't like the sliding scale and the way it's sort of spread out. Uh, and so the union now looking to put together a counter proposal that we're hearing is going to be prorated salaries. That's it. And we want more games. And from the owner's perspective, they're looking at it saying we lose about $680,000 per game paying prorated salaries without fans in the stands more games is worse for the owners and it pushes the regular season deeper into the fall where the owners have a real concern that they might lose the playoffs with the second wave of the virus. And the playoffs is the biggest line item of revenue for owners right now, that playoff share of the network money, they can't put that at risk. And so therein lies the problem in this negotiation. All right, let me make you the mediator here. You're going to bring both sides together. What is the common ground that will allow us to be able to play baseball? Right. So the first thing the players need to understand is the owner's perspective. There's two things. One, not having fans in the stands is a major issue when it comes to revenues that needs to be addressed. That a player getting 100% of his day's pay when the owner's getting 60% of revenue, that's the problem. The players need to acknowledge it, and they have to get off of the prorated salaries. The other thing the players need to understand is that if they're going to get paid, the owners are going to pay them up front and then make themselves whole by collecting the playoff money. If the playoffs don't happen, then it's catastrophic losses for the owners. So the players need to protect the owners with the risk of losing the playoffs. From the owner's perspective, they need to understand for the players that prorated salaries already cripples them at half their pay and taking less than that with where they are and the fact they have short-term uh, uh uh, lifespan as a baseball player that ultimately they're the ones going on the field taking the physical risk that has dollar value that needs to be acknowledged and so ultimately the two sides need to understand prorated salaries at 100 percent will not get a deal done the players are going to have to come off of that and the owners are not going to get a 50 50 share of the losses with the players because they're taking physical risk and the owners can make it up in the future by just making different business decisions next year. And they could have expansion a couple of years from now where they could have a billion dollar franchise fee and make themselves whole in a significant way. So the middle ground is get off of the prorated salaries, 
but the owners are not going to get a 20%, 20% split of the 40% loss. It's going to be players take a 10% reduction in your prorated salary, but you're going to have to defer some of that money and it will be paid contingent upon whether we have the playoffs or not. And if we get there, you get the, the full share of a 10% pay cut off your prorated salary. We make a deal and we move on. I wonder about this, looking back on the NFL deal that the owners and players struck. And what I thought the Players Association did brilliantly was play to the guys that aren't making a lot of money. We're going to get you benefits here. Therefore, they were going to get the votes they needed to have this pass. You have the haves and the have-nots. And it feels like Mike Trout or Max Scherzer, those guys are taking the biggest financial haircut, whereas it feels like the owners or the commissioners playing to the guys who are making minimum here, like these guys have to come back. Mike Trout or Max Scherzer, they don't have to come back. Is there going to be a war between the haves and the have-nots inside the Players Association? Right. So uh, you're 100% right. Now, I don't believe that that was the owner's purpose okay. in their offer uh, to split the union. But it could have been a residual impact of it. Now, it, it, and it could backfire on them because 65% of the players make between the minimum salary and $1 million. Those players under the owner's proposal will play half the season, 50% of the season, and get 46% of their pay. They're not damaged that significantly. A guy like Mike Trout is going to play half the season and get 22% of his pay. And so that feels there's like an injustice there, but 65% of the players are pretty safe. I got to tell you, I think the players are more tightly united than what the owners gave them credit for. Now, I know you got a lot of guys out there talking, and they may not be as united from their leadership to contain themselves, but I don't think there's any player that's going to look at Mike Trout and say, yeah, your $36 million should turn into $7 million this year, and you should take – the bulk of the payback to the owners and all of this. And so I think there's going to have to be a, a re that's why I think the, the player's response to the owner's proposal will be like, yeah, that's a nice offer. We don't care anything about that. Our counter proposal is not going to work off of your system, your format, your structure. We're going to come at you completely differently with our proposal. Yeah, but I'm concerned about, uh, we're talking to Steve Phillips, um, host of uh, MLB Radio Network on SiriusXM. I'm concerned about when, when you start to look at this with guys wanting to come back, this is a star-driven league. I mean, we, we do show up for Clayton Kershaw or you know Aaron Judge or Mike Trout. If they're not coming back, the guys who make all this money, are people going to be that starved to say, hey, I'm okay with watching the Phillies without Bryce Harper here? Do they run right. the risk of that, Steve? Yeah, I think they do. I think the risk, I, I think the risk exists. Uh, and, and yet, you know, and, and the other, for other reasons, they still might make a deal and some players might not play. Mike Trout's wife's expecting a baby. And the notion of, you know, does he put himself at risk and his wife and baby at risk? Uh, Garrett Cole's wife's expecting a baby. They're the two highest paid guys out there. Uh, so that does, I, I think players will play. Uh, and if they don't, I still think, I still think it's a compelling enough product that you're going to get players to show up and play and fans are going to watch because okay. we're desperate. We're desperate to be able to watch some live sports here in the States. Yeah, I just wonder how this goes horribly wrong. And and baseball has to know its place in the sports society, the sports landscape here. And I think that that, it feels tenuous, Steve. 
It does. I, look, I, and I think that this negotiation is not exclusive about the, to the 2020 season. We've got a collective bargaining agreement that's due to expire at the end of 2021. Uh, that's just on the horizon. If And there's a high level of distrust, which I thought we had made up a lot of ground with labor peace for a long period of time. But, man, we went right back to the Hatfields <laughs> and McCoys here. I mean, it has gotten ugly right out of the get-go. Uh, and the players don't trust the owner's numbers. When the owners say – it's going to cost us 40%. The players are like, okay, let's show us the books. And the owners have never just shown the books. Now, the owners may be telling the truth that it's 40% of their revenues, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a 40% loss because some part of that 40% might be coming out of some of the profits that they were making. And so it might turn in a 40% loss of revenue might be a 20% loss this year. And so the players, Max Scherzer came out and said, we're not coming off prorated numbers unless you show us the books. If you show us the books, we'll make it public, and then we'll go along with it. And he thinks the reason the owners don't want to do it is that they're telling a different story. i got to tell you that, Dan, having been in the front office for 13 years, I never saw the second set of books, if there's two sets of books. The way we set it up with the Mets was we did we, we set up the break-even. We projected revenues, worked backwards off of that as to what payroll could be, minor league expenses, scouting expenses, and set up the break-even. If we won and went to the playoffs, we made money. If we lost and we were losing money, we traded guys at the deadline, try to get back to break even. There wasn't this secret set of books with the, the, the super sauce somewhere that they're hiding money. I never saw it if there were those set of books. You, of course, were the GM with the Mets with the Bobby Bonilla deal. And I'm wondering, is I think it allowed you guys to sign Mike Hampton. Is that fair to say? It freed up some money. But if you look back on that deal, would you make that deal again with Bobby Bonilla? Yeah, so so remember, we were releasing Bobby Bonilla, and and ownership said, you know that that his group, his his agency, uh, had represented Daryl Strawberry back in the day, uh, where they had done deferred compensation. And Bonilla, people don't know this, when he first signed with the Mets the first time around, he had deferred compensation with them too. He still gets some payments from that first deal he made with the Mets deferred <laughs> compensation. Uh, and so, you know, here here's the thought on that though was. The Mets looked at it at the time is we had Bernie Madoff as an investment vehicle. So the Mets looked at deferring Bonilla's compensation as a way for the team to make money, that they were going to take his, I think it was 6.8 million or whatever that number was, release him and then invest that money with Madoff and put it out for 10 years not paying Bonilla anything and then spread it out over 25 years of payments of equal payments. And, th and so I was just told, Hey, give it to the accounting department, let them crunch numbers. And if Madoff returned this percentage or that percentage or that percentage, how much money would he make on Bonilla's money? And the notion was that we had a chance to make millions on his deal, even with the payout for Bonilla over that period of time. And so quite honestly, it was turning what was a loss of 6.8 million in a single year of releasing him into what would be a, a win and a financial windfall for the organization because of the Madoff investments. Did you invest in Madoff? You know what, it's funny. I, I, I actually, you know, one time was suggested, hey, you know, when you get some money saved up, we can maybe get you an account with Bernie. And, and I asked the question, what makes him better than everybody else? Like, why is why is he better? Like, why don't people just look at what he's doing and other people sort of copy his investments and do it? And and what I was told was he keeps everything really close to the vest, obviously. <laughs> uh, and and that. It, but here's the thing: like Fred Wilpon, you know, once Fred Wilpon vetted you, uh, he loved you. 
And like, I was, I was in that group. Like he, like I was one of his people that he really treated me with love and, and respect. And Bernie was a friend of his. That's, that's why Fred had no idea because when they had me go and have the accounting department run the money, they said, you know, if he makes, what if he loses some money some year? So they did a whole number of, of iterations on it and ran it through the system without any expectation of what the return would be, just knowing that, that he was better than others and they might get a return on it. So it was heartbreaking because for the Wilpons, knowing Fred, it was the relationship. Obviously, they lost a lot of money, but the relationship and, and that sort of commitment and connection he had was really devastating. It was heartbreaking for me to see all of that and, and go through that uh, from the outside looking in at that point. But the aftershocks of that relationship between the Wilbons and Bernie Madoff, is, is that why the Mets are up for sale or been up for sale? You know, I think that, that by the way, I never ended up investing uh, uh, with it at all. So I, <laughs> I, I avoided it. But I, I think that, you know, that certainly was part of where they had been. But, I, you know, I don't know. I think sometimes what we see with ownership is the succession plan, right? When when the owner gets a little bit older, how do you, you know, the, the estate taxes on a franchise, we saw it back in the day, I guess, with the Robbie family down in Florida, and they're selling the team. And, you know, how do you then pay those taxes on the ownership of it? And so I think that there's some part of maybe the planning for a succession plan that's coming into it. Uh, but, you know, here's the thing, if expansion may be coming, and that may be a way for owners to solve their problem, right? Put billion dollar uh, expansion fees for two new franchises to come in to get you to 32, which would balance it out, then they can sort of subsidize themselves like they did back in the 90s to pay off the collusion payment and settlement when they added, uh, you know, the Rockies, the Marlins back in the day. So, uh, so I think that that they that you may see the Mets hold on a bit if expansion is just around the corner. Where are we going to expand to? Well, I think Montreal seems like a, a potential place. Portland is a possibility. I think San Antonio. I didn't know this. San Antonio, what the seventh most populated city in the country, 1.5 million in the, in the, in the city. Uh, you know, I think that Nashville is a place that people are talking about is a possibility, Charlotte. Uh, and, and the notion is, you know, and, and there's been this thought that Tampa and Oakland need to be resolved first, right? You've got two stadium issues there. The Oakland A's can't even pay their rent right now, by the way, $1.2 million have not paid their rent for this season. But the, the thought all along has been, you've got to resolve those two before you expand. But I think you could find, 28 owners right now who would vote to expand before worrying about what to do with Tampa Bay and Oakland, if it's going to generate the expansion fees that could come with it to try to make everybody whole after the suffering financially from this pandemic. Great stuff, Steve. I hope you're doing well and uh, we appreciate you joining us. Good. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dan. Good That's to talk Steve to you. Phillips, host of MLB network radio on Sirius XM. We'll take a break. Phone calls coming up. Right after this. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. I'll get a couple of phone calls in here. 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address dp at danpatrick.com. Uh, let me see. This is from uh, Greg in Baytown, Texas. Just watched the opening scene from Sabura. Holy shnikes. I can see why Paulie's wife doesn't want to watch. I can see why Paulie does want to watch. That was on Netflix. It's Sabura, and then it says, like, The Blood of Rome. Yeah, Sabura, Blood on Rome. There was a movie a few years ago called Sabura. It's a... It's their version of like a mafia. It's a government, politics, the church, uh, organized crime. It's subtitled. It's all in Italian, but it's subtitled. The first scene was so hardcore that my wife goes, nope, not for me. 
and she watches she watched Breaking Bad and she had no problem with Breaking Bad. Uh, just, I'm not going to describe the scene. Sabura. Yeah, not like Sabaro. That, that, yeah, that'd, that'd be Fritzy's favorite show. Yeah, because I thought, man, all right, they got a food court in Rome. That's perfect. Yeah, but there's blood. It's one of those scenes, it's not even violent, the first scene. It's just so dark and cringeworthy. Mm. Let's put it this way, it involves a priest. And and then uh, my wife goes, nope, not Yeah, I don't, I know, I know, I'm not interested. But it got great reviews. It's one of the more popular mm. shows out there on Netflix, yeah. and it's supposed to be hardcore. Yeah. Nope, not interested. I I was watching reels last night, as I always do. They have mobsters, uh, you know, episodes, and they had it on Murder Incorporated, the uh, the guys who started Murder Incorporated back in the '30s, and they, you know, they decided that the Italians and uh, well, the Jewish mafia, like they all teamed up there, uh, like Dutch Schultz and some of these other guys, and they just talked about how many people they killed all over the United States. But it, yeah, Murder Incorporated. And they all die in the end, by the way. Yes, Paul. If you title your company Murder Incorporated, you're going to be a big target for the authorities. I mean, <laughs> well, the IRS, one, the IRS is going to have a problem. Day one, they're looking at you. Like, these LLC. guys. It's not like a flower shop. Murder, Murder Inc. LLC. Yeah. You, they're up to something bad over yeah. there. Imagine the IRS would probably question that. Yes, McLovin. So are you getting into this now? No, I just watch reels, and then it reminds me of why I don't like mafia movies. So you watch it and you're like, yeah. oh man, thank God none of this yeah. is real. Yep. Yeah. Thank God this is all well, fiction. It is called reels. Yes, Todd. Were people really afraid of Abe the Menorah Goldstein back in the day with the 30s uh, Jewish mobsters? Hard to envision that kind of scene. There, yeah. there was nobody called Abe Menorah Goldstein there or whatever. You, question mark. I, I can't or believe you it. You have like Frankie, the, you know, two fingers uh, <laughs> Maloney or whatever. I figured there might be a, you know, Joe, the Missouri Yes, McLovin. I can't believe I'm diving into this with this idiot here, but Meyer Lansky is like the third most famous mobster of all time, and he was Jewish. Everybody knows that. Yeah, Todd has no idea who Meyer Lansky is. Hyman Roth and Godfather 1 and 2. Meyer were, Lansky. There was a powerful Jewish mafia. Oh, yeah. All of like all the ethnic groups in lower New York. Ah, they're the all United. nice Jewish boys. They don't do these kind of things. They were in uh, Brownsville, I think, is where they had a couple hundred thousand uh, Jewish families. And then that's where some of the, you know, organized crime got started because of prohibition. Yes, Todd. Or um, yes, McLovin. As long as we're diving this, I always found it interesting that Todd's dad was a Jewish cop. <laughs> yeah. In uh, named Fritz, which is not a Jewish name, a German name. I still name. have a tough time believing that someone from my family would do something that uh, courageous and put their life on the line every day. I don't know how he got some different genes that I didn't get. Obviously, <laughs> and like, a tough place to be a cop too. New York City, Brooklyn, right? Yeah, yeah. I used to work at the uh, the old Yankee Stadium, and he was right there in the in the Bronx, Brooklyn. Yeah, Paul. Things go down. My, my dad was an iron worker. He worked on high rise buildings specifically. All right, this isn't. Let's compare our dads. <laughs> no, no, but, you know, I'm comparing how soft I am. Like the idea of being over two floors working outside <laughs> on a building scares the hell out of me. I mean, I think we're all scared of heights to some point. But that's just, um, it's funny how different you could be from your dad. My dad was a computer science guy. And you can't work your computer. And I am not good at computers. They really make me nervous. My dad is a history teacher and I was terrible at school. <laughs> Go figure. McLovin? My dad was a wholesale grocer. I got nothing. <laughs> great guy. <laughs> Probably watching right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. We love your parents. They're great. Uh, a couple of phone calls here. Uh, Luca in Baltimore. Hey, Luca. 
Hi, Dan. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, long-time listener. Um, I just wanted to say that the Sabora series, um, I watched it. I think it's absolutely worth the time. Um, as an aside, I actually grew up in Italy, so I guess I've watched all of the different mafia movies under a different lens. But I'll say that the Sabora series might not have the same glamour and maybe romanticized aspect of it, um, but I think it gives a really good look into what the mafia has evolved into. Um, and on top of that, uh, I have a suggestion for a, for a similar series, Zero Zero Zero. I believe that's on Amazon Prime, um, and that is off of um, a book, uh, again, similar series about the modern spin um, of the mafia. And so I think... Yeah, we were talking about that earlier, Luca, prior to the show, because Paulie's like, do I go zero, zero, zero or Sabura? And he chose Sabura, but zero, 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 I guess, got good reviews. That's Amazon Prime? Yeah, that's a combination of like a Mexican drug cartel. And uh, the, the setup of that TV show is a, a big load of cocaine gets smuggled out of Mexico to Italy, and then there's a international war. Yes, McLeod. I I've seen it. It's way too hardcore. You will hate it. Okay. It's way too far. Yeah. I mean, it's not even close to whatever the line of decency is. And Gabriel Burns in it, though. I like him. Uh, Jeff in Milwaukee. Hi, Jeff. What's on your mind? Hey, great show, as always. Got Fritzy Ramblin. Got Jerry West coming up. That's he's, he's one of my favorite guests that you have. Nobody gets as much out of guests as you from Jerry West to Kobe to even Urban Meyer. Who's on your Mount Rushmore of guests that you have? Oh, uh, that's too tough to say, Jeff, because it, it tends to fluctuate. It's strange. Who did we say the other day is Chris Weber is one of my favorite guests. He just tells stories. I think it comes down to is somebody going to be able to tell you something that you didn't know or entertain your audience? Because I'm just the conduit. When we have people on, I want to get the information. Like Steve Phillips, I wanted him to give you information so you know what's going on in the baseball situation. And if they can tell you stories, you know, the Bernie Madoff story of the Mets investing the Bobby Bonilla money, I thought was interesting there. But gosh, there have been so many guests. We've been so fortunate down through the years. And one of my faves is Jerry West. He'll join us coming up in about 25 minutes from now. Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show.